The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today I am here with my very dear friend and colleague, Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, who you probably know because she is the co-author with Dr. Dan Siegel of the most um, incredible and best-selling parenting books, The Whole Brain Child, No Drama Discipline, The Yes Brain. She's also the author of Bottom Line for Baby. There's just so much wisdom in her work, and I trust her, which is why when she offered to have a conversation with me where she's flipping the interview and she's interviewing me about the five principles of parenting, I was so honored. Tina read the book before it was complete. I wanted her feedback on an ongoing basis because I trust her and I just was so honored that she approved. (laughs) I would not be selling this book if I didn't believe it was going to help every single family. I really worked hard to make sure that the content is as clear as possible, as streamlined as possible, but still holds as an umbrella just everything that you could possibly need to know about Raising Good Humans. So the five principles of parenting, your essential guide to raising good humans, as you know, I hope, is out January 23rd, but you can pre-order it now. Let me tell you what you're getting. Apart from, of course, if you pre-order, please reach out to me or go to my website, DrLisa.com, or DM me on Instagram because you can have an early chapter. I'm going to have a a live Zoom in January as well for pre-orders. But when you order this book, I cannot tell you, I I put everything that I thought, you know, when people say to me, what do I need to know? What do I actually need to know? And give me that book. I want to be able to go back to the same book, whether I have an infant or a tween. I want the same content for everything. I want to know how to answer these questions myself. I want to be empowered. I don't want extra information, and I want it to be evidence-based. So I did it. The first half of the book goes through everything you need to know from the science of resilience. There's even a way to look at other things that you might read and assess whether or not it's noise or actually really important content. I, of course, am deep diving into resilience and the skills that you can teach your kids to promote resilience. And I'm talking about the different kinds of temperaments and how Parenting is, of course, going to depend in a large part on your values, your temperament, and your children's temperament. So I needed to spend some time on that. And lots of quizzes and questionnaires so that you can get to know yourself and your child better. I I really deep dive into raising ourselves. There's an exercise at the end of each chapter that you can do for building self-regulation muscles for yourself and that you can do with your kids or teens. And the whole second half of the book goes into what I call from page to stage, which is just a theater geek way of saying putting the science and your values into the everyday practice of parenting with every scenario I could come up with, delving into topics that I know you're going to come across, whether it's sleeping, you know, infant sleep to adolescent sleep, whether it's discipline and really honing in on what the research says about discipline, 
whether to use, you know, rewards or not rewards or what's in between and what context these things are relevant and how to use praise and what praise is and what's the problem and what's the good stuff. I really get into it. Timeouts, like all the things that people ask me about. And then, of course, the common points of conflict that we all come across, sibling stuff, peer stuff, bullying, friendships, transitions, whether you're moving or you lose a loved one, a dog, a loss of a dog, a gaining of a dog. I couldn't have filled it with more reality-based content. And of course, I did screen time, phones, devices, social media. I talked about sex and gender and sexuality so that you can kind of be on the same page as you might be hearing things that you've never heard before. I really wanted to give sort of a choose-your-own-adventure within the context of science. So like you might say, I don't believe in cry it out. Okay, well then let me tell you how to help your baby sleep through the night without using cry it out. But if you do choose cry it out, let me tell you that as well and the things that are in between. And when it comes to screens, same thing. Like here's the science of what we know. If you choose to use screens, here's the science of what might be helpful. And here's some practical tools. Here's a an agreement that you can give to your kids to sign, things like that. So I really tried to not impose my values and just give you the science. Because what I don't want this to be is like the Dr. Eliza approach. I really want this to be, you are armed with all the information you need to make the decision to respond to your kids and to yourself and in your family with so much confidence that you just feel like you're fluent in it. Now, I also talk about deeper things like self-esteem and a sense of purpose and what mattering is and how it all works, how it all comes together. And so that you're not overwhelmed, you don't read it all at once. I think you can read chapters as they're relevant to you. There are some that are very general. They are for every parent, no matter the age. Certainly a lot that could be helpful for grandparents. I'm pretty confident that this is this is going to support your parenting, but not in that micromanaging way that makes you feel like if you don't listen to every word, you're somehow failing as a parent. These are general, relatable, doable guidelines and go order it. I would be thrilled. I want to hear what you think. Also, the reason why you probably have heard me say, please pre-order it, even though it's not coming out till January 23rd, is that it actually really, really helps you get the lowest price for the book when you pre-order. You get an early chapter and a Zoom with me. And it helps people who are considering buying the book and booksellers to see that there's a need for it, that there's people ordering, and so then they want to order it. So if you've ever been like, you know what, Dr. Lisa has helped me in my parenting journey, and I wish I could thank her, go buy the book. and then. My thank you to you will be once you read the book, I promise you, I think you're going to find deep relief and support, which is all I could hope for. Anyway, order the book. DrAliza.com gives you options of all the places you can order it, or just go to bookshop.com, which means that you're buying a book from a local bookseller, or you can go to barnesandnoble.com or of course, amazon.com and do send me a DM. It will make my holidays so happy to get a DM from you that you bought the book. Have a wonderful holiday. We're going to have a whole conversation now about 
some of the takeaways from this book that are hopefully going to be really helpful to you just during this holiday season because it's a time. And may you have a meaningful and beautiful 2024 because that is the next time I'm going to be connected with you. You have this amazing podcast. You have this long legacy of parents you've nurtured with a trusted voice grounded in science and practical reality of like being in the trenches as a parent. But, you know, a lot of your listeners don't know you're like Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, the co-founding director of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. You've done amazing things to get developmental education into the hands of pediatricians who are the touch point for all these parents who actually pediatricians who knew didn't don't get a ton of developmental education. So you've just done these incredible things. And now you have this book coming out and I am in love with your book called The Five Principles of Parenting. It's really in the canon, I think, of like best top five. It has to be on every parent's shelf. I've already pre-ordered a thousand because I'm going to give them to everyone I know. I love the book. I think it's like we talked about grounded in science, but also the reality of the day-to-day like trenches that we're in as parents. So I was thinking you have all these amazing guests on your show. And I've been privileged to get to do a couple of episodes with you. But I was like, I mean, my top rated episode. Well, and you and I have so much fun. And so it's just another reason to talk to you. But I was I woke up one morning after I had read your manuscript. And I was like glowing in how marvelous the book is. And I can't stop talking about it. And I thought, Oh, my gosh, I've never hosted a podcast. But what if I tried? And you got to be the guest on your own podcast because you are the expert, right? You always share your expertise, but you really let your guests shine. Or maybe you don't. And I'm just such a hog that I just talked all the way through my episodes. I don't know. But I wanted your guests, your your listeners who hear you host all the time, hear about this book, get to know this book, but also maybe get to know you a little bit better. So how long have you been doing parent ed or been supporting parents? Like in how they make decisions about parenting and development. How long? I would say it's been 17 years because as soon as I became a mom, that was like, oh, that was the fun thing to do was translate what I, you know, what I was learning in the science into how we're doing this with our kids. And so I guess it's been exactly 17 years. Is there anything now, like you look back and you think back over these 17 years, any advice you gave or anything you used to teach parents that you have changed your mind about or that you would do differently now? Because ideas are living things and the science is changing. and living. Yeah. So I'm wondering about that when you look back and go, oh yeah, I didn't, I would do that differently. I think that I was the same in my work as I think is developmentally natural as a first-time parent, where I was a little overly precise. I was holding on to getting it right a little too much. And I think for sure, there's no question that I leaned into behavior modification before like as a fallback pretty quickly. Those are really interesting examples because I know now, I know your your work and how you what you teach now. 
and you and I have even did a podcast together talking about kind of an over preciousness or an over kind of like making sure every little thing is perfect. So even looking back on those, I feel like you, you probably give your, can give yourself some grace about that kind of stuff. Cause you're like, if, you know, if we're not doing it just right, that doesn't really mean much in terms of having bad outcomes or, or those kinds right. of things. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just, I was really, yeah, I didn't let go as much. And I think over time we learn that that actually is, you know, if you're, if you are to, to decide which one of those is the path to better outcomes, it's probably not the clinging to getting it so right yeah. all the time. Yeah. Well, okay. So you've got these two amazing children. I've met them. I know that they're amazing. Where they thought you were a celebrity. You? How do they feel about you and your line of work? And like, what hell have they given you? Like, I'll give a funny example. So one of my books is called No Drama Discipline. My One of my sons who loves to give me hell, he said that he was creating his own sequel called Full Drama Discipline. And anytime <laughs> I ever did or said anything as a parent that was not in line with my books, he was going to document that. And it was going to go into a whole other whole other book called Full Drama Discipline. So anytime I, like, if I just make a funny, like throwaway comment, like, you're ridiculous, seriously. Like he's, he'll pretend like he's getting his notepad out to like take notes of like the bad, bad totally. things I'm saying. Anything like that with your girls? They have a bloopers reel uh-huh. of, they have ridiculous videos they make where they're talking way too close to the camera and giving parenting advice. And it's ridiculous. And they are fully making fun of me. And they almost daily will say, you should definitely put that on the website. <laughs> like whenever I say anything. <laughs> yeah. What not? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, yeah. And they're, they have said recently, they're like, you don't have to be so hell bent on the like, perfect parenting is the enemy of good parenting. You could be a little bit more hard on yourself. <laughs> you could be better. Try to be better. <laughs> I love that. That's real. And that's one of the things that I, as your friend and colleague and your listeners and everyone who loves you, loves most about you is your authenticity and your vulnerability and all of that. I want to talk about like, you have this tremendously successful, impactful, phenomenal podcast. It's really one of the best out there, if not the best parenting one out there. I just absolutely adore it. You've had huge influence on thousands of people over the years. What made you decide to write a book and how did you decide what you were going to put in it? You've talked about it. The book is called The Five Principles of Parenting. So I want to hear what made you decide to write the book and then how did you choose the five? Okay. I don't even know if you know this, but I think you do somewhere in you, but but I don't know that we've ever discussed it. But well, first, how I decided to write the book was I was like, I'm never writing a book. There are incredible books out there, as you know, because you've written among the best books in the world. So I was like, I'm not going to add more to the plate of a parent. But then I got some feedback that sometimes it's nice to have something under one roof and just like, I can access this. So it was just like, learning that some people do like to listen to tons of podcasts and some people just are like, I just want a resource that I can go to and check, but I'm, you know, I'm a more visual learner or I like to see see this. I like to hear it. I like different ways of accessing information. And so I guess it ended up being one of those things where like, I really do try to find different ways to 
get to families and help families thrive, even if it's through their pediatrician or through the podcast or through a book. So it was just another way to create resources, but with the deep, deep hope that I did so without adding noise. Yeah. I mean, I guess what the book does in lots of ways is says there's so much noise and so much advice and so many shoulds and so much pressure on us. This book kind of like clears away the noise and says like, here's what you really need to focus on. And then here's how to focus on it. Like the book is, if, if those of you who don't know, it's brilliant in that the first part of the book is really these principles and kind of the swimming in these important ideas that help you tune out the noise and really know what's valuable. And then the second half of the book is like how you actually apply it in the everyday hard moments as parents. So it's really brilliant because it's super practical. So yeah, I mean, that's what the book does is it tunes out the noise and really gives a guidebook. It's just brilliant. Thank you. Well, let me then say this, and it means like a thousand times more coming from you. And I was so nervous to give you the first draft because I was like, (laughs) oh, what is Tina going to think? But actually, the way it ended up framed around five principles was because I had to give a talk totally unrelated at a, a conference that wasn't even about centering child development. And I was like, I think I was with you <laughs> the night before. And we were talking about three principles that now, of course, I can't distinguish between them, but we were talking about three principles and then I was like, this is, this is it. I just need to add a couple more. I was already deep into writing the book, but all of a sudden it was so clear to me that if we really can boil down the science that matters into a handful of, a literal handful of core principles, it just frames it and makes it so much more easy. And once I was connecting those dots, it was so easy to realize that everything came back to those five core principles. Not only are they doable and practical and accessible, but they're grounded in the science. I mean, really the five R's that you pick, that you just walked through, relationships, regulation, reflection, rules, and repair, are all grounded in decades and decades and decades from developmental science and neuroscience and all kinds of bodies of science. And that's one of the things I love about you is you're really grounded in in the science Okay, everyone, happy holidays. It's time for a new year. And of course, we're going to have new intentions. So what about skincare goals? Skincare goals where you're taking care of you, not just your littles, a little fun, a little self-care, a little sort of luxury, but with clean, like squeaky clean ingredients. I love this new skincare routine I've tried from Dime Beauty. Dime is 100% transparent about every single ingredient, so you can use their products daily with confidence. And Dime Beauty is clean, it's high-end skincare, but it's affordable, and it works. I wanted to take the guesswork out of my routine for the new year, so I recently started with the Works Collection because they just like send you everything in one package a nice gentle cleanser, a gentle toner, two beautiful serums, two luxurious moisturizers morning and night. So go take care of your skin. Know that it's made clean. So if teens, for example, are borrowing your skincare, it's no big deal. 
And this year, you could love your skin again. Go to dimebeautyco.com and unlock your discount. That's dimebeautyco.com. Click on the link in the show notes. Go to dimebeautyco.com now and unlock your discount. That's dimebeautyco.com. Have you ever been on the hunt for a new doctor and you just ask everybody you know, and it's like about to be the new year and you're thinking you've got to just start fresh, get all your doctor's appointments, make sure you're healthy. But even when you get a list of people, you call and you find out they don't take your insurance or it takes six months to get them or any of those different things. Well, look no further if that sounds like something you've experienced because ZocDoc can make it so much easier. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for the ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. Go to ZocDoc.com humans and download the ZocDoc app for free and then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's zocdoccom slash humans, ZocDoc.com slash humans. I think it'd be really interesting. I'll come, I want to come back to the book in just a minute, but I think a lot of people don't really know what a developmental psychologist is. Can you sort of tell us about what is a developmental psychologist? How is that? Is that different from someone who like does therapy? And how mm-hmm. does that developmental psych lens kind of influence the work that you do, including this book? Developmental science. Thanks for asking, because I do think that it is a weird niche branch of, of psychology that I fell madly in love with, but it's looking at change over time and kind of how we come to be who we are. And we look at the influences on how humans are shaped, their environmental influences, the biological influences, and looking at social, emotional, cognitive outcomes. I just was like, whoa. Then I got pregnant, frankly, and was like, became deeply obsessed with how does all of this research apply in day-to-day life. And what was interesting with a developmental lens is you really look at prevention and growth and you don't look at intervention as much. Yeah. So then I was in this situation where I'm like, why doesn't this, why isn't this part of everybody who works with kids? Like, why isn't this part of the training? And I ended up starting to teach it Mount Sinai in the Department of Pediatrics. And I was like, oh, this stuff isn't a given. Like the physicians were learning what they had to learn for if something was going wrong and that's it. But there was so much that was not, there was no time for. Anyway, it's a long-winded way of saying what I do. But I really just, I was really fascinated by how we come to be who we are I just thought this is a magical field. I love you kind of make it magic. It comes alive. And a lot of times when people go into developmental psych or for me, when I was working on my PhD in in social work, the assumption is that you go into research and that you become a professor. And you and I both fell in love with the idea of being translating the science and, and really making it accessible as we were in the trenches doing it ourselves, like, you know, with our young kids and watching it unfold and how, you know, sometimes it's just amazing to be able to see it. And then sometimes you're not seeing it at all. You're just trying to get through the moment and you smell and yeah. you haven't peed by yourself in three years and, you know, you're like in it, in it. And then I think it gives us a, another way of thinking about 
the families that we work with because we really have experienced it. Because you're you're coming from the developmental psychology lens and you're looking at development over time, one of the things that I love so much about your work that I think is missing from most work out there is that you're you talk about in the opening pages of the book, you talk about the phrase you use is a parallel path of development. So you're looking for sure at the development of the infant, toddler, school-age child, adolescent, young adult into adulthood. But you're also talking about the parent, the development of the parent as a parallel process along with that child. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that unfolds? Yeah, because I think that's the other thing about developmental psychology is it's not really, I mean, it can focus on younger children and childhood, but it really is lifespan. And I was also kind of mesmerized by the idea that this huge transition to parenthood, this time period that has the third largest growth in our brain development, and that is regardless of whether or not we are the biological parent or we are non-biological parent, like to me, that growth was just so fascinating. And then thinking about oh my God, we just got here. Like we just became a parent simultaneously when that child became a child. And so why are we expecting that development to just be finished? We're growing and we're a work in progress. And we are, I think it's developmentally appropriate to kind of go through those stages alongside our kids. I would even say without that, we miss out. Yeah. We miss out on so much. So I think it's also an e- a much easier way to be kind to yourself and gentle when you recognize like you just had your first birthday when your baby had their first birthday. Yeah. That is just a much more like who would be mean to a one-year-old? And like I, if I'm a one-year-old parent, like I'm a 17-year-old parent. And that is, you know, very different to me than expecting that we just emerge finished And don't you think there are gender differences there in terms of society? Like there's kind of a expectation that dads are going to have to learn how to change a diaper or do these things. But there's an expectation that as women, that we just have instincts for it. And that's just, that's, you know, I, I knew a lot because I had babysat and I had made mistakes on other people's kids' diapers, you know, what do you think about that? Do you think that's right? Do you think that there's an expectation, particularly for moms that, we don't need to, the, the development's already there. We just become, we just are. I do. I think there is that pressure. And I feel like, you know, there is this feeling, this sense that if you don't have that instinct, that you're less than. Or something's like wrong. If you did, or yeah, like something must be wrong with your attachment or something must be wrong with you as a woman or you're, you know, you're not maternal. And I, I really, first of all, who knows what your history is? Did you even babysit? Did you have siblings? Did you, how were you cared for? What was your experience? So there's all that. I mean, yes, it's such a funny thing because on the one hand, we want parents, especially mothers to feel like I'm enough. Exactly. This mother is enough. And also you don't have to know everything and be everything out of the gate. It would be, it's a ridiculous ask to suggest that we're supposed to emerge as this mythological (laughs) mother figure that is just all knowing. And in some ways, I love the image of the beautiful mother in every piece of art and every piece of literature. But I also think it's like, F you, 
Like, why are you making me have to live up to a deity? Like, I just, right. I'm just a person trying to stay afloat right. and keep this child alive. And now I also have to like be humming beautifully and like carrying a baby on my breast while I'm stirring a pot here. of delicious stew. I think it's nice to remind ourselves that yes, let's pay attention to our gut and our instinct, but also let's be mindful that when we say that to each other, there is an unspoken, like you should know all of this and be embody all of this already. And that too is just as much pressure as saying you don't know anything. Yeah. I love that so much. And even the art, I hadn't thought about that before, you know, but just you think about like a, a museum painting and there's like a perfectly perky breast, just, you know, hanging out over a beautiful, you know, ruffled frock that doesn't smell like spilled milk and soiled milk yeah. and no shower in four days. You know, I think that's interesting to see that how it sort of plays out in our culture and how we all really that becomes really embedded in how we see ourselves, which means we feel like we're failing all of the time, which, you know, I love that you picked repair as one of your principles. And I, you know, repair is such an important foundational concept coming out of developmental psychology. It's not a new concept. It's, it's really been around grounded in science for a very, very long time with Edtronic's beautiful work and, and many others. The Lactation Network was so interesting to learn about. TLN is the largest national provider of insurance-covered lactation care delivered by international board-certified lactation consultants. They provide lactation support, which includes the materials like breast pump products and lactation consultants to families in need of care. Now, whether you decide to breastfeed or not is so personal. It is all your decision. Some people choose to and can't. Some people choose not to and can. None of this is part of this conversation. What I want to share is that for those of you who want to, there is a way to get support and support that will be covered by your insurance. TLM will connect you with a local certified lactation consultant to come to your home, to your office, or do telehealth. And you can work through feeding concerns and they deliver a custom care plan. You can have as many visits as you need and your insurance covers it. It is so hard having new babies and it's so hard breastfeeding. And for those of you who want to do it, you deserve all the support you can get. If you or someone you know is expecting or a new parent, they deserve expert lactation care. Visit tln.care for more information and to check your coverage and schedule a consultation. Why do you think repair was an important one to include in these five principles? Like you said, and I think it's important to just shout this out on the rooftops all the time, but like none of this is new. And it's really cool that we can share this. And also, I think it's important and feels more safe that these are not trendy topics. These are core components of the science of how humans develop and thrive and repair. Like someone asked me the other day, if you're picking a partner who's going to be a parent, a future parent, like what's a feature that you think is the most important? And I immediately was like, it's their capacity for repair. I love that. 
how do they come back from things? Because that's the thing that happens the most in our relationships with our little ones and our big ones and everybody in our lives. It's like, not that you get along the best and that you laugh the most and that you have the picture perfect to anything, but it's just like, how do you come find yourself coming back together and moving toward one another and not away from one another when things get murky? Mm. So it felt very clear that repair was huge and also repair with ourselves so that we can keep getting back up and forgiving ourselves, not because we're just going to keep making the same mistake and not, you know, we're excusing everything, but more like we have to be able to nurture ourselves in the way that we expect our children to nurture themselves and for us to nurture our children. Like it's all part of the same messaging. So if no other reason than to better support our children, I wanted repair to be there for our children and for ourselves. I love that you have it there too, because it's like, all right, listen, if you, the other four principles, if you didn't do so well with those, you got repair, right? So it's like, it's a, it's a safety net for all of us. Right. And I I think, and reflection and repair are so tied together because the ability to reflect on ourselves is also, you know, kind of the part of the brain that gives rise to the ability to do that is also the part of the brain that allows us to have personal insight. And, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel has a term that he made up called mind sight, which is sort of seeing your own mind in the minds of others. And it's really two sides of the same coin. And so I think when we, you and I've talked about this before that, you know, when we mess up, not if, but when we mess up, how important it is to kind of be curious with ourselves. Like, what is it I'm not getting? Or what is it I need to be the parent I need to be? And sometimes it's simple, like I need calories, like I haven't eaten, or I would really like to go to the bathroom by myself or have one adult conversation. And then other times it's bigger stuff like, well, when my kid yells, he reminds me of my abusive parent or, you know, whatever it is, but and a lot in between there. But I love that you've got repair in there because it's like, even if you get the other four principles wrong, I've got you. Just go to repair. Just turn to the chapter and repair. Exactly. I do feel like the bookends of relationship and repair cover us because... Totally. Yeah. I love that you put rules in there too. Because, you know, parents, one of the things you and I have talked about before is that one thing that parents often are getting wrong these days, based on what you and I say in our work and what we've taught is that it should all be about attuned communication and being emotionally responsive to your child, which often gets misinterpreted as permissiveness. And you and I both sometimes get lumped into the gentle parenting gurus. And we don't really want to be in that group because, or maybe we say, yes, we want to be gentle parents who are also well-boundaried with limits and expectations and who have rules, right? So we'll be in that group. We just need a, we need a caveat. Bring it properly. Yeah. So I, I think the fact that you'd really talk about relationship and when you talk about that, you know, it's really about that connection and attunement and emotional responsiveness and respect and all of these wonderful things that we want to cultivate in our relationship with kids. But tell me why you included rules. I mean, I'm certain this happens with you too, because we've talked about it, but it's like how particularly if, if it's more comfortable for you, particularly if you feel like I really want to cultivate a connection and attunement. This means so much to me. It can be a slippery slope to being completely uncomfortable with our children having the range of feelings that exist as a person. And those feelings will bubble up even more 
when we have to make sure that, you know, we've set appropriate boundaries and we've have clear expectations and limits that are developmentally appropriate, that seem ethically appropriate, that help our children move through the world so that they're not just doing whatever, whenever, however. And I think that somehow something's gotten lost in the translation that being connected and attuned means you would never allow a negative feeling without making sure that you've figured it out and made it go away kind of thing, fixed it, whatever. And that would be what is sensitive caregiving. And so to me, it was like, well, let's make sure that there isn't a misunderstanding that the rules, I mean, I just said rules because it was an R word, but it's really like the encompass, it encompasses the boundaries, the limits, the expectations. Yeah. I wanted it to live in the same, you know, there's no hierarchy of these five principles. I wanted them all to be part of the same necessary components to all of our thriving, because that's the one that I think, particularly for parents who are seeking support and wanting to get this right in quotes, rules is a challenging, the volume of connection is so high. And because relationships are so important, I think it's been a great challenge for parents right now to make, come to terms with having a close connection and being attuned and also having rules. That is just a great, great challenge that I wanted to make a little bit easier and more clear. And I was afraid if I didn't make sure that I put rules in there, that it would definitely get lost. I think we've just gotten into this world where we really try to control the weather instead of teaching our kids how to dress for the weather. Right. And I think we we do that for ourselves too, because it's so much in the short term easier to control the weather, but over time it's impossible. But here we are and we keep thinking like, if I just change this about the environment, I can make things easier for my child. And it just grows and grows and grows. And I, it's such a bummer because it is all done in the most well-meaning, yeah. loving way that actually is one of the, I think the challenges of this era of parenting. Yeah. I love the phrase that you use and it's actually in the book as well. All feelings are welcome, all behaviors are not. And that's one of my, that's one of the things I quote you the most on. And I love that you also make the point in the book that we mean that for parents too, that you might feel like you <laughs> want to scream at your child, but we really prefer for us not to scream at our children. And if you do just repair, right, we got you on that one too. But I I really love that. I think, I think what you're doing here is you're giving parents permission to not be so afraid of setting structure and limits and boundaries. And that, you know, really these five things, and, and you say this in the book, that these are the five R's that lead to resilience and lead to humans who can weather life's storms and stay true to their values. I love that analogy you used a little bit ago, because the way children develop resilience is through is not through everything ha- being perfect weather. Perfect weather does not lead to resilience. Um, it's really weathering, you know, weathering storms and learning how to navigate them. And so I really love that you talk about that. And, and we're giving our children the way you sort of set it up is that when we set rules and we let them have big feelings about those rules and we can be sensitive about the feelings about the rules, but we're still holding the rules 
that that is actually a gift to our children. It is a gift to let them experience those uncomfortable emotions because it's resilience building. And so I just love how you set that all up to think about. It's not something we have to be afraid of as parents. It's actually a gift we can give our kids. I just love that. And it's hard. It's really hard to do it, right? And that's why the other thing I really loved in the introduction, I mean, you hit it right away, is the idea of fluency. Can you talk about that and why you use that word and and what, what you mean by fluency when something's hard to do at the beginning and how we want to be fluent in these five things? Well, I just, I, and when I was going through the book, because I didn't want to separate it just as like, let's go through each one of these principles separately. I wanted, because that's not how the world works. Like in our day to day, if you can become fluent and have this ease of, I just am calling on these principles. I know where I I have them in my nervous system. I have them in my memory bank. I know in all the different contexts, how to translate them. You keep practicing and it becomes like, okay, I don't need a separate course on each topic that is a challenge that comes my way because ultimately the answer is going to be the same. And I just have to get really good at calling on that same answer. And it's almost like too simple to believe because the hard part of parenting is the emotions that we feel and our kids feel. But the response to it, if we're just using, you know, if we're just thinking about it, is the same every darn time. It's just so hard to believe. So you see like here are 700 courses that you can take on every challenge possible from zero to 18. But if you really broke it down, you're saying the same thing. Yeah. So that's right. And a lot of parenting experts that are like, I have the answer. I have the, you know, I will fix everything for you. And it's like, okay, well, that's why I love your book. Cause it's like, these are the principles that guide you. They become the North star. Honestly, I feel I feel really wary knowing what I know about anybody that's extremely prescriptive saying do these four things, you know, because that's not really attunement. It's not really honoring your child's unique differences. And so anybody who's really claiming to have the answer or to fix the things like I feel like there's something missing there. Yeah. And so I think if you if you give the tools and the principles but become fluent so that you can just navigate all of this without having to make it so complicated and make it so prescriptive. It, it really does lighten the load of parenting and, and give you a little bit more space to relax a bit. Somehow, I don't know how you did it in the second half of the book, when you talk about the specific tricky times, like bath times and bedtimes and, you know, all of these things, like you don't do it in a way that's prescriptive where you're like, I have the answer, but you're really applying the principles. And I think when you go back to this idea of fluency, if you think about what math fluency is, math fluency is that you have automaticity. Say, let's just talk about your times tables, right? And this week I was talking to an audience and I said, how many of you, the first time you heard seven times seven equals 49, knew it by heart forevermore, you never had to think about it again. No one raised their hands, right? The way you become fluent is by lots and lots and lots of reps and practice until your brain wires and has that automaticity. So I think one of the things that you and everything you do, your podcast and your talks and your book are just like a huge hug of like acceptance and connection for the reader, but also like helpful, like hopeful things to say, try this. It might be hard. You're not going to be good at it all the time because none of us are. But as you practice, it becomes fluent for you and it becomes not just something you do 
but it's a way of being. And that's what I love about the really practical part of your work too, is it's not like, here are the answers to fix everything, but really about here's a way of being with your child in these moments that are, that ruffle all of us, right. Or that can be really hard. And, and I think you give parents so much hope in that, even if you're not good at something now, or you make mistakes all the time, if you continue to practice and hold these five principles, we become more resilient as parents too. It's not just about building our children's resilience, but we become fluent and we, we, we kind of come to speak and automatically hold these principles in mind as we practice them. It's just really beautiful. It really is. What's your hope for this book? What do you, what do you hope? Like when parents read this book, what do you really like the overall thing they walk away with? What do you want them to feel or know? I want them to feel relief. Mm-hmm. The sixth R, <laughs> I want them to feel relief. Yeah. I want them to feel relief. And then I want them to feel like they have this. And if not, they can go check. And, you know, that this is not anybody who says there's an exact science to it is just selling you something. Yeah. I love that. Really, you're giving them a confidence and with the information you provide, also a confidence to enter into the messiness and miraculousness of living these days with our children that go by slowly sometimes and and fast at other times. I think you've done that. I think you've absolutely done what you aim in this book. I just, I like, I feel emotional right now just because I love the book so much and I love you so much. What about your life's work? Like, what do you hope to accomplish in your life's work? Same. I mean, if I can just, same, like if I can help relieve some of the pain from the experience of mothering and parenting and also imagine just like you, I think just young people growing and thriving and feeling their worthiness. I looked back at my notes of your five principles and what if the world cultivated and valued relationships, regulation, reflection, rules, and repair. I mean, now we're talking about a world we can feel proud to pass down generationally. So you're right. You know, that's, that's my hope for you with this book is that it has impact in concentric circles that get bigger and bigger and bigger and has, has a voice in the world to change, not just the relationships in our homes, but the relationships in the world too. And I couldn't love you more. I couldn't love the book more. And I think you are such a gift to your audiences. I'm so glad they got to hear you today. They got to hear you talk about your book. And hopefully, I mean, really, these five principles are in every episode. The people you have on value these things. You talk about these things. You live these things. I know you live these because I'm your friend. And I know you are these things in with your daughters and in your other relationships. So you really, truly, authentically live this way too. And I'm just so proud of you in this book. I love you. I love you too. (laughs) Thank you for doing this. I'm so honored. Well, thank you for writing the book. I can't wait. We just, we got to get it out to people because it's such a gift. It really is. It's, it's like I said, I think it should be in the canon of the most important parenting books. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.